Welcome back for a brand new episode of Jory Sports Stories. As always, I'm your host, Jory, and today, well, this is part one of a new episode. This is, I had to break down this episode into two parts because the NFL segment happens to be way so long, way so long. So today, we're doing all NFL, all day today. So we're discussing the Titans signing DeAndre Hopkins, the running back revolution that's been going on, uh, the unfortunate, unfortunate, I'm sorry, the unfortunate saga of Andrew Luck, and more. Wait a minute. Yeah. The unfortunate saga of Andrew Luck, and we're going to break down the NFC West as well, talk about those, those problems, and a very special fan base might get a very special rant today, because y'all have been getting on my nerve for the past week. Actually, it's been more than a week. So without further ado, let's tune in, turn your volumes up, and let's get it. Like I said in the introduction, we're going to head up into the NFL. First thing we're probably going to discuss is either the Titans signing DeAndre Hopkins, but however, Lord... Lord, 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 you might want to get your to- you might want to get your popcorn, get something to drink, start folding some laundry or doing something, and just sit and listen, because I got a lot to say. Cheese. So without further ado, let's get it started. And, you know, so we're going to get this started. The first thing I'm going to talk about today is we're going to talk about what does DeAndre Hopkins really mean for Tennessee? One, Kevin Byer took a pay cut probably to acquire DeAndre Hopkins. That tells you pretty much everything that we really need to know about this situation. But I'll expound on that later about the statement, about the status of the team and why I get so irritated when people say we're going to be trash. But I feel like there's a rent embedded in that, and we're not even going to touch that right now because there's things I need to talk about. So with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, it gives this bat offense balance, especially with him being on the other side of Traylon Burks. He'll be opening up. He'll be opening up more opportunities for others. Plus Chig. What DeAndre does is he, you probably need two people to on him. And then it opens up somebody else to be. And it opens up Traylon or Westbrook Akine or and I don't like necessarily like him or Kyle Phillips or whoever's going to be on the other side of DeAndre Hopkins. It opens that up. And I love the balance. So regardless of how you feel about Ryan Tannenhill, he is great with play action pass. He can use his legs effectively. So with Tannenhill, Derrick Henry, Tajay Spears, in the backfield, you got Burks and Hopkins as the X and Y receivers. You got Duff with like things like Nick Westbrook, Akina, and Kyle Phillips, and hopefully Mason Kinsey can stay healthy. But I'm kind of giving up on that as as far as I'm concerned. But that's my receiving room, and then it's more of a balanced system. However, I still need my offensive line to actually get better. But this offense has a lot of potential that 
I can see being capitalized on. Another thing that what DeAndre Hopkins does for the Titans that people don't really touch on this for is like development. You know what having a DeAndre Hopkins on your team does? It will develop some of the young, unproven wide receivers as well as keeping the trash off the field. I.e., you know who I'm talking about. You know, Nick Westbrook Akina tried it this offseason to go search the other the market for him. There was no market for Nick Westbrook Akina. He returned for a $2 million deal. Was it two or four? One of those. So that lets you know where that is. He's going to help this team cut some sorely needed slack. He's going to help my wide receiver room. Especially since that dumb trade. And I'm not even finna sit here and keep going on and on about the A.J. Brown trade. Because the A.J. Brown trade arguably is one of the dumbest trades ever. There's a reason why John Robinson got fired. I applaud him getting fired. I He should have been fired the day he did it. In all honesty, should have been fired the day he did it. There's a reason why Mike Vrabel looked like that. But, yes, DeAndre Hopkins helps with that wide receiving room being a consequence of a stupid trade. Put it point blank. Defense. With D-Hop, we should be able to extend drives and keep our defense from staying on the field and getting worn down. Contrary to popular belief, and I don't know why people think my defense is just so horrible, but my defense is pretty good. I have studs coming back. We'll get into that probably in a week or two, but I have studs coming back. I've paid some players. Most of my team, my team is pretty solid on the defensive end. The only thing that really derailed my season was an offensive line and injuries. So don't nobody ever needs to forget that because I'm going to let you remember it. Um, But yes. What DeAndre Hopkins is going to enable for my team to do is to help extend drives, not keep going three and out, three and out, three and out, and keeping my defense off the field. So when they are on the field, they're actually a good defense instead of just worn out shells of themselves. That's neither here nor there. But that's what a little bit of what DeAndre Hopkins will be bringing to my team that he won't be bringing to anybody else's, especially the Patriots. But I have an interesting theory about the Patriots, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. And now we're going to cover the running back revolution. And you're going to hear my serious thoughts about this, right? And I'm going to look at it. I'm not looking at the market. I'm going to look at it at a completely different angle. I'm not going to sit here and look at it at the market. So Saquon could hold out. Josh Jacobs could hold out. Tony Pollard has to get the franchise tag. He he got the franchise tag, and he's going to play on it. The valuing the running back is clearly happening, and I don't understand why. I will give you my opinion on how we devalue our running backs here in just a second. But let me get to this. So if we're going to break this down, here's my thing. Derrick Henry doesn't say anything on Twitter. So it's very bad. It's bad that Derrick Henry decided to say something on Twitter, and he barely tweets. And Christian McCaffrey says something. Now, I understand the whole running back shelf life is short. 
And I understand that type of argument. But some of the teams who aren't, this is where I'm taking the whole market thing out of it. Like some of these teams who aren't paying their running backs can't really afford not to. We're talking about the Raiders and the Giants here. Can they afford not to pay their running backs? No. So, without those running backs, those specific running backs, they got almost nowhere. Now, yes, they've made additions to the roster at the running back position, but it's not those two players, and it's not going to be the same. So, if you're expecting whoever the heck the Giants brought in to be as good as Saquon Barkley in the event that Saquon Barkley don't play, you're going to be – you're fooling yourselves. You're deluding yourself. You're self, you are literally setting yourselves up for failure. The Giants franchise tagged the wrong guy, and the Raiders is just flat out stupid. Here's my point. Here's my thing. It's one thing to have a quarterback running back duo that kind of feeds off of each other, but as far as we talk about the Giants, Daniel Jones is relying on Saquon. He's not going to look a fraction as good without Saquon if he's not on that field this year. He's not going to look, he doesn't look a fraction as good as he does with, by himself as he does when he is with Saquon. That is a proven fact. That is a known commodity. That is something that is generally expected. So why aren't the Giants paying him? But look, because the Giants, in all honesty, running back market aside, should have tagged Jones, paid Barkley, not the other way around, which is what they did. And now you have a very resentful running back who quite literally put the team on his back and ran you to a playoff game. Who's going to be, who's going to cause a team issue? That and is literally right. I think that if they don't play Saquon, play, pay, excuse me. If they don't pay Saquon, and you know the locker room don't lie, so if it turn if the Giants, if they don't have Saquon for at least the first four games, and the Giants look a hot mess, you're gonna know that there's trouble in that locker room because Saquon isn't there. I feel like this right here is gonna be a locker room dividing issue, a division issue. Because why isn't he in there? He's, they're not, I don't think his teammates are going to take it out on him. But it is going to cause some type of internal division and internal discourse. And I need, I don't know if Brian Dable is going to be able to handle it or be able to control it. The front office has done a bad job of managing the situation to make sure it doesn't get uglier. Now, granted, I will look at it on the other side of the equation. Saquon Barkley did turn down a $22 million a year because he wanted 24. Now, my situation is like, get the money that you think that you're worth. But at the same time, also don't be stupid enough to decline the best thing that you're going to get. That 22 million was probably the best thing that he was going to get from the Giants. And if he really wanted to stay a Giant, he probably would have took it. It's a small negotiation. It's a small little price gap. $2 million. If you can't eat that and be happy with your life, I don't know what to tell you. I understand it's worth, but that's close to what you think that you're worth. That's literally $2 million off. In life, you're going to have to make some sacrifices.
period. Because with the case of Saquon, they could really not pay you because you have injury history. Didn't you tear ACL once or twice? I don't know it was at least once. Then one of those years you didn't necessarily have the best year. That, I'm also correct about that. So if you look at it from an organizational standpoint, they need to see this type of production again before they pay you. I believe that the organization will do right by Saquon, even though they're not doing it right now. But Saquon also turned down a contract that was worth $22 million a year. So, and now you're being forced to play on something if you're going to play, or it might be too late to sign it. If they don't get a deal done, you're going to be giving away $50,000 a game you sit down. So, and it's 18 games. The math adds up. Next, my spiel on the Raiders. Now, on the Raiders situation. The Raiders organizationally are a hot mess. But it'll be hotter without Josh Jacobs. Because let's talk about it. Josh and Devontae became that offense last year because of Derek Carr. And if they don't pay Josh, which they haven't, and they aren't even close on a deal, according to some sources and how my research has gone, they're not close on a deal. I have a, my spidey senses kind of give me an, a, a uh, sense that Devontae Adams will be unhappy too. Because that Raiders team is not good. That's all y'all have. And if Jimmy G can get healthy, do you really want to alienate your best offensive weapons? Good luck with that in a tough decision, division, division, unless they're tanking. Like, honestly, I don't know what the Raiders are doing, but what they're doing to Josh Jacobs and what Josh Jacobs has done, he doesn't deserve that. Clearly. Has Josh Jacobs been hurt? I'm not sure. But what he has done this year and the last year is pretty special. So what he's been doing for the past two seasons should warrant him enough for him to get an extension. Pay the man what he's worth, especially for that trash team. When y'all just do stupid stuff just to do stupid stuff. One, they hired Josh McDaniels. He's not a good coach. He's in for over his head. He went and got Jimmy G. And I don't think Jimmy G is going to be able to make it in Las Vegas either. If we're going to be completely honest. And besides of Devontae and... and um. Josh Jacobs, who I was just talking about, you tired, you tweet, you traded away Darren Waller. Hunter Renfro might not see the field for, for some time this year. So who else is going to be the one to catch the ball from Jimmy G? Who else do you guys have? What is your offense? You're sitting here over here playing with Josh Jacobs like he's something to be played with. That man is talented. He ran y'all He's literally the reason why y'all won the games that you won, the few games that y'all won. So y'all over here paying, playing with this man about his money, and it's not fair. And I don't like it. However, I understand Saquon has his injuries. He has had two ACL toes. You can barely tell, though. Josh's best year was last year, but you can still tell how, he good, he, how good he could be the previous years, 
prior to last season. So his contract should have been in the works if you ask me. Now Tony Pollard also has me also has no choice to play on the tag because he already signed it. He's coming off of the injury. That might affect his payday too. The running back is market is broken. Now I've heard about this whole summit about running backs including Henry, Saquon, Josh Jacobs, and they're talking about like why is this so why is this happening? Well, and then some things about the agents going on, but I'll do some research about that and get back with y'all. I don't want to speak on it. I don't know. And I, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. But they did have a meeting about what's going on, things that they can do other than holding out, which is pretty much absolutely nothing. But then the agents didn't come into plaques about, wow, they'd be backloading their, their contracts with phony salaries and stuff like that. So that's been an issue. So... I say all of this to say this. The running back market is broken. But who broke it? The NFL. Actually, what specific running back broke it this time? It was Zeke. Zeke could be one excuse how the way of how the way that the league used running backs as a whole. Even when they're expected to do just about everything. Zeke got his money and he fell off of a clip. That's it. That's the exact reason why nobody's going to get paid anymore. Even though I'm glad Derrick Henry got his money when the getting was good as well. He got his money. He could be getting an extension too. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. But like I'm saying, the running back market is bad because of one short life, short shelf life. I don't necessarily care for it because short shelf life. Two, usually when they get paid, if you're playing and get paid, you're going to drop off soon. That's why. Again, short shelf life. Two, the game is kind of, the game is not contrary to popular belief. Again, that's one of my favorite phrases. Phrases, but this game is not going away from running the ball. Yes, it's going to be a pass-heavy offense, but you still need to run the ball because if you just pass, 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 pass. What? And the defense know it's coming, they can stop it. So you got to be able to run the ball. So we're not going to sit here and try to devalue the running back like they're not expected to run the ball, block, and catch passes out the backfield and finish runs. Now, granted, Derrick Henry, if we think about it, he's probably the only one that's going to be able to has played his contract out accordingly. Just as how he started his contract, he's pretty much finished it, which is strong. So that's he's an anomaly, but we already know that. So we don't need to be continuing to face the. We don't need to continue to reiterate that Derrick Henry is an anomaly, but for, as a running back position as a whole. They're too important to what an offense does to be underpaid like this. I don't know if there's anything we can do to fix. They can do to fix the running back market, but they're way too important to an offense. They don't even have to be getting the ball to be important to the offense. They block. They catch. Again, block. I mean, it's just... Sad to see. I hate to see it because running back is literally one of my favorite um, positions in football. I'm the type of person that likes 
physical football. So, of course, my two favorite positions in football is going to be the interior defensive lineman and the running back. I like violence. But it's just sad to see how bad this market has devalued. All right. Hold on one sec. All right, all right, I'm back. And now we're going to talk about the Andrew Luck saga. Some things I'm going to discuss is like what really happened, whose fault was it, and more. So I remember when Andrew Luck came into the league. It was 2012. I was 11 years old. I was still a Falcons fan at that point, but I was also starting to get attraction to other teams, i.e. the Titans. And I remember, vividly remember Aaron, Aaron, Andrew Buck carving up the Titans every time or lose the winning close games. So, and then one thing about, I remember about Andrew Luck is he was always getting hit. He wasn't always hurt. He was always getting hit, which has to hurt. Not going to lie. That has to hurt. So this is my synopsis on the whole Andrew Luck saga. It's a few people wanted to ask me my opinions on it. A few of my people wanted to ask me a few things about it. So, by the time, the one thing about Andrew Luck in his early career is that the Colts were trash. They didn't have a defense that could stop a nosebleed. They didn't have an offense. They had the ashes of Reggie Wayne. They decided to keep going at free agent wide receivers and not drafting one. So they were it was a bad team. They couldn't stop anything, like I said. So by but by the time so in the earlier stages of Andrew Luck's career, but they didn't have an offensive line that could protect him. So he was getting hit and he was playing hero ball and he was putting his life on the line for the team. And by the time Andy managed to get him some protection, he was already pretty much beat to hell. By the time they got him a viable running back and some receiver help, it was too late. Pretty much too late. By the time they fixed the defense, it was way too late. They relied on his grit and his guts for way too long. They failed at protecting Andrew Luck from himself. They failed at providing adequate... Providing adequate let me rephrase that they provide they failed at being transparent when it came to andrew luck they failed at providing adequate protection for andrew luck that's what i was going to say the light bulb in the front office went off a little bit too late so that's where the first point i want to mention about andrew luck the second point about the andrew luck is i told y'all the Colts were trash but it was poor GMing and executive dysfunction that probably ruined his career as well. That run defense was garbage juice. The O-line couldn't block my chihuahua from, stop, from getting out the door. The wide receivers were either aging or just trash as well. And by the time any of this got fixed, he was already playing injured with things such as a lacerated kidney and two bruised ribs and a short shoulder. So by the time they got this fixed, it was on the front office to get any of this stuff fixed. I don't understand that. If you have a franchise quarterback, why are we not investing into our offensive line? 
Why are we not infest, infesting it to pill players? By the time any of the major concerns about winning were addressed, he was already beaten up and ready to call it their career. The team's incompetency at putting a good team around him in a timely fan fashion is ultimately what cost them a franchise quarterback. Now, how they re- handled his retirement. Both sides could have probably handled this better. They probably, if Andrew Luck knew he was going to retire prior to that season, he shouldn't even been there. Especially right after that injury that re-injured something. They could have handled this rock, this this better. The road to rock retirement was rocky, okay. And I'm gonna expound on that a little bit because you could say that his road to retirement started as soon as he got into the league. They forced him in, to play in a way they did, and 2015 was a catalyst. The injury, okay. Like they, okay. Let me let me take that. 2015, where you remember when Andrew Luck was um, down, he didn't play. He was not active to play due to a shoulder injury, and the whole world lost their minds, and the Colts lost. So they rushed him back from an injury the next week, and they won, but he hurt it again, and he was peeing blood. And then he had a big football-sized bruise on his side. Do we remember that? But here are the list of injuries that he's played with. A lacerated kidney, two torn torn abdominal muscles, two bruised ribs, a shoulder. That's what we know. And then there was a a phantom leg injury that we don't necessarily know too much about. I don't personally. But to put it lightly, he was beat up. So why even play him if he wasn't suitable for contact? And why are we lying to the public public if he wasn't suitable to the, for contact? Like, that's something that you don't need to lie to the, to the public about. Excuse me for stumbling over my words today, but it's one of them type of days. But that's not something you need to worry to lie to the public about. If he can't play because he got a lacerated kidney, say something. Put it out there. If he can't play because he has torn abdominal muscles and two bruised ribs and he can barely walk and he's peeing out blood and he can barely put his clothes on, say something. Don't say he's just fine or it's just shoulder soreness or nothing. If he's just beat up to heck, just say something. That was pathetic. That was pathetic. They didn't protect him the next year either. He was hit a lot more, and he really wasn't himself that next season after that. I don't know if that was 2015 or 2016, but he wasn't himself precisely after that. You saw some of that zip go away. You saw the difference that those type of hits were taking a toll on him. You saw him get broke down. You, ladies and gentlemen, we witnessed Andrew Luck get broke down psychologically. Watching him play. Because you can't sit here and tell me that the Andrew Luck that played in 2012 and the Andrew Luck that played in 2017 was the same Andrew Luck that didn't play in 2017. Because he didn't play in 2018. Um, so, 
You hid his injuries. You lied to the public. You neglected him medically. That's your franchise quarterback. We don't neglect our franchise quarterback. Actually, we try not to neglect anybody. But that's exactly what that was. When you're hiding things from the public and apparently they weren't they were making him play on that or letting him play on that, letting him continue to put his body in danger when he was in when most normal people couldn't even walk. It is negligent. And it's borderline exploitation. But we're not going to talk about that. They stole his joy. Period. Now, I'm going to talk about the day that he retired. Because I remember that. Because I was like, I'm so glad. I love to watch you glow. And I can't. I'm like, I love to watch you glow. And I'm glad to see you leave. Go, go. Bye, bye. But, all in a serious note, whoever leaked it is a horrible, clap-chasing, pathetic excuse of a human being. This led to those fans turning on him, and they're the exact same way, too, booing him off the field on his last on his last field appearance at that stadium. That's pathetic, and that's why you've had a whole bunch of quarterbacks ever since, how you treated him. He put his ding-dang on life on the line for y'all, for, for y'all to turn around and boo him off the field and to break that man's spirit. Y'all are horrible, and that's why y'all are a horrible team now. He was broken at that press conference. They, the organization didn't even have the decency to have, to even try to set it up in more of a friendly, kind of emotional type thing. That shit was hostile. The organization gave that man a door to kiss with little to no, to no dignity and preservation about himself. And it's a crying shame. And that's why, minus the twenty, minus the year they went 11-5 with Phillips Rivers, they've been absolutely trash ever since. And that's why Frank Wright got fired. And that's why they're just a horrible franchise. I mean, I don't necessarily care for Ursay, but I'm not going to go on a rant about him. Because I could, but I'm not. So, and that's my take on the Andrew Luck thing. Now, we're going to talk about the NFC West. We're going to have the outlook. So, the first team we're going to talk about in the NFC West is we're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. Um, so, what are my some of my biggest questions about them? Is like, what are the biggest holes on this team? Will Kyler be able to efficiently lead this team? And are the odds stacked against Jonathan Gannon's favor? So, first thing I'm going to address is Mr. Kyler Murray. He may be back second half of the season, given he heals correctly, he rehabs and stays on track and whatnot. However, is he ready to grow up and change some habits of his and accept responsibility of his career? Is he ready? Is he ready to have fun but treat it like a job? I mean, he's got to step up and be a man, and not a man child with diva antics. He's got to love it enough to immerse himself in it study, improve, hold yourself, hold yourself accountable. And I fought the, uh, I do fought the Cardinals for enabling this behavior because they turned this man into more of a monster than when he already was. So, but only then when he learns to love the game immersion, enough to immerse himself in it, will he improve. And this team, 
again, I don't think he'll be ready for contact week one. He won't. I don't think he'll be ready for contact until the second half of the season, if we're being quite frank, considering when that injury happened. You got to say that injury happened late season last year. These type of injuries usually take 9 to 12 months, 6 to 8 months if you're on an extremely fast track. But it takes a minute. But I feel like if he's really serious about growing up and helping this team rebuild and being the focal point of this team, being the face of this franchise, but he should be behind the scenes being a leader in whatever type of form that is. Now, my biggest questions, like the biggest holes that the Arizona has is defense. And I talk about special teams because their special teams is horrible too. But... Their defense, third worst graded unit going into 2023, mainly due to the front. Then you lose J.J. Watt, Zach Allen, or Wilson. Yeah, Zach Allen. Zach Allen. Baker, Buda Baker isn't very happy. They lost a lot of, they lost some things. They lost 18 sacks worth of production. So the defense is projected to be a liability. As third worst unit going into 2023, depending on how you ask, I think they might be the worst. Their D-line is depleted, suffered from losses as they look to rebuild. Players such as J.J. Watt, who retired, and Zach Allen, who left their free agency, who combined had 18 sacks last year. Then you got things like Buda Baker already... Well, Buda Baker isn't exactly happy either, and they already lost another solid cornerback in Byron Murphy. So we're potentially looking at a team that's going to struggle to stop a nosebleed. Having holes in the line and in the secondary opens up the run and the pass at the same time, and then your offense may not be as productive because you're not, I don't think they're going to have Kyler for the first half of the season. In all honesty, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll admit that. But I don't think they're going to have him for the first few games of the season. Granted, they now have a defensive-minded head coach, so who I'm getting ready to talk to talk about now, who should be able to fix some of this foolishness. But it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. Now, Jonathan Gannon, some of Jonathan Gannon's biggest questions. Managing a rebuild and keeping Kyler Murray happy. Fixing that defense and don't be a dysfunctional mess. First thing I'm going to address is the rebuild first plus Kyler. The most, you know, as much as I've said Kyler's name in the past two minutes, there's a reason. Because Kyler Murray probably made this job very undesirable for top-notch coaches. Coaches who weren't rookie coaches. That's a fact. Because that's Kyler Murray last year acted like a brat. He got the man that he picked to coach him fired. I, I just need to throw that out there. But the most undesirable thing about this franchise is that the whole thing is a mess. Granted, they let Kyler run all over him and run things. This team has a whole lot of field, holes to fill. Kyler's maturity is a question. The front office put this team in a mess. And now we're having a whole new GM head coaching deal. 
So this is a bad team that Gannon has been tasked to turn around. He's also got to keep Kyler happy on the offensive side because we know what happens when he's not happy and he starts yelling at his coaches. And then you have an injury-prone Hollywood Brown and you don't have DeAndre Hawkins anymore. And then he's got to rebuild that future defense that's struggling and look competent while doing it as a first-year head coach. So you understand the type of task that this man is, that this man is, type of mountain that this man is looking at? He was given a piece of paper and told to make wine with it. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, it's a tall task that requires eight hands for ten different things. It's a tall task. But in all honesty, if he wants to keep that job, he cannot pull a Nathaniel Hackett. And what I mean by that is like, as far as competency is concerned, at least look like you know what you're doing. Because if he, if he don't at least look like he know what he's doing and look like he has the locker room and look like he got some type of control of something, he will be a one-and-done head coach. But... The one thing he does need to do, he needs to probably work on that within the next few years if he gets the whole contract. Because like I said, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to stay this. If he doesn't have control of his roster, well, not roster. If he doesn't have control of the locker room, it just looks like a hot mess. They will probably make him a one and done. But first thing that he probably needs to work on in the future is fixing that up, is that defensive line. They, like I said, I'm not going to underestimate the power of losing 18 sets worth of production. They weren't very good at either stopping the run or rushing the passer. Even with those 18 sacks, they weren't very good. So, they're going to need some help with that. Then, your secondary lost a piece. It could be losing another major piece. So, the secondary could really be a liability. And with a this turning towards a passing league... You don't necessarily need your secondary being a liability. And the optics, the optics. He has to manage his team, and he signed up for it. But if you look at all the, the, the factors that goes into things like this, it's a bad team, we're going through a rebuild, and he has to look competent that that. He has to look competent while doing it. Now, granted, there's going to be some hiccups, some hiccups. But he has to get to the point where at least he looks to be more comfortable as the season goes on. I feel like these front offices will have more patience with a head coach if they look like they're getting into the groove as the season goes on. Like, yes, you haven't done this before, but once you're getting your niche, you're going in and in and in. Instead of... What we had last year in Nathaniel Hackett or with Matt Rule, where we could tell they didn't have the locker room. We can tell they didn't know what the heck they were doing. We could tell they didn't have no business being a head coach. So, he has to at least look like he's comfortable, at least look like he has some type of command. I mean, it's the bad thing to say, at least look like it, but ideally, while you're trying to look like you have the command, you're developing your commanding skills. Fake it till you make it sometimes. It'll help you. 
you're developing those type of skills that you need to be a very good head coach, but you look competent while you're not a very good head coach enough so that you don't get fired your first year. But he's going to have to have command. And his strategy shouldn't be confusing at all. Thanks, Bella. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Rams. And some of my biggest questions about them. Well, some of my bigger statements about the Rams. One, Matthew Stafford. Two, running game and O-line. And three, defense. So, the Rams weren't a bad, weren't a good team last year. Granted, they had arguably the biggest case of Super Bowl hangover that I've ever seen in my life. So, but the first thing we're going to talk about is Matthew Stafford when it comes to this team. And the fact that they're kind of doing damage control. The one thing that I wish that the Rams would kind of get before they start asking people to take less money and do things like that, is that they can't avoid paying the price for winning that Super Bowl. Especially to the price that they paid. They said bump it. And now they're paying for it. So now they're open to, to trying to trade Stafford, who they overpaid for, and they might need him they're going to need him. He's the best option that they have. So I don't know why they're being open to even having these type of conversations. Because they want to clear up some cash space. No. You know exactly what you did when you signed up for it. When you traded away all them picks and you paid that man that extension and you started giving out money like we was in a strip club, you knew exactly what you were doing. You have to pay that type of thing that back. You do. They were trying to have them take a straight-out pay cut because they were just printing money and giving out bad contracts, i.e. Cam Akers. So we're doing damage control about Matthew Stafford, but we all know that's that starter quarterback for at least this year. I'm not sure about what happens after the season, but that he's going to be their starter quarterback for the next year, next season. And whether or not he'll be able to make a comeback, he's tough as nails. And if he's tough as nails, and the way Matthew Stafford plays, he'll be back. But he's always hurt because of how he plays. But his offensive line failed him. To put it quite frankly, his offensive line failed him, and then as a result of said offensive line, he got injured. He'll be back, but he's also 35 years old, and the injuries do seem, in hindsight, a concern to me. He needs to stay healthy, take calculated risks. Again, he's 35, and he's not a young 35. He's an old 35. And the running game. I don't know why the Rams thought Cam Akers was it, but he's not it. He ain't it. That's a bad contract right there. That Rams running game is atrocious, and they're going to need to somewhat fix it. They're going to make the summer fix it. And then that O-line losing Whitworth and and getting injured 
proved to be a bit too much for them to handle. So, that's where we are with the running game, which I don't think is going to get much better, in all honesty. And then we're going to talk about the defense, because I got some things that people, some people may not necessarily agree with, but listen, that defense clearly wasn't what it was, was especially even with Jalen Ramsey on it. And then... At the end, you lose eight defensive starters. So all that money the Rams put into their defense, they ended up losing it. They let them people walk right on out the door. This is why the Rams probably won't be a good team for the next few years, if we're being completely honest here. So let's let's look at it. Let's check it. They lost Jalen Ramsey, amongst other things. That defensive line struggled last year, even with Aaron Donald. And he didn't have an Aaron Donald. He definitely took a step back. But he was still commanding a double team. He was still commanding somebody to double team him. He was still that dude, but he had taken a step back. And that was very obvious. And this is going to be an issue as far as that line is concerned. Their run defense is projected to be number 29. That secondary is horrible. Also projected to be bottom tier. Their depth is trash. Their depth is their depth is putrid. Absolutely horrible. So yes, the Rams have issues. I think this whole division has issues, but we'll talk about them in just a second. Realistic outlook for the Rams. This is probably going to be a putrid team defensively. The biggest question is, can Matthew Stafford keep the, the, the defense off the field coming off of an injury? I think running the ball will be an issue. Hopefully that offensive line can improve, but I don't see it. This will be a bad team, probably because the offense is slightly better than the defense, but it's very clear to see, if we're being completely honest, that this team is in a rebuild. Period. Seattle Seahawks. Some of my biggest questions and concerns, Jamal Adams, Geno Smith, and what are they really? And my outlook about them. Now, the biggest thing that, because I wanted to talk about Jamal Adams, because I just wanted to say that, why can't this man stay healthy? He is the textbook definition of injury prone. And it's honestly, it is time to say that the Jets won that trade. In hindsight, when healthy, he's arguably one of the hardest-hitting safeties in the league. And how he plays, that fire, the fearlessness, and that type of reckless abandonment usually gets him hurt. Which that style of play gets you, it's great. It gets product. He's a great tackler. He's a great hitter. It's productive. But reckless abandonment also gets you hurt. Hurt, hurt. Yeah, so back to what I was saying. Wait, but Seattle Seattle also has this type of history with injury-prone, hard-hitting safeties. Examples, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor. But maybe, maybe, this is just a suggestion, we should 
go away from heat-seeking missiles with reckless abandonment issues. Granted, they had the death to kind of hide it, and that's what I'm going to kind of, that's what I'm going to get at in just a second. Quit going in and out. Get in here. Geno Smith. Geno Smith. Last year, we saw the resurgence of Geno Smith, of Mr. Geno Smith, partially in thanks to the bona fide wide receivers that they have. That includes DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And with the and with the rookie in Jackson Smith. Y'all know who I'm talking about. I'm not finna sit here and try to pronounce that. I don't want to mispronounce it. He should be on track to improve. That's where I say hold your horses. Y'all are saying, we expect a big old leap from Gino. No. Gino's been in the league for how long? We know that he's an average quarterback. He's a solid average to slightly above average quarterback. This is why I say hold your horses again. Because it's like, I honestly think Geno Smith is a solid bridge quarterback until they find their next franchise quarterback. He's not going to get it to be a Cinderella story again. Sorry. And the biggest question that a lot of people have been kind of wanting, wanting to answer is like, what really are the Seahawks? They're something. This team is something. And in the grand scheme of things, they could be a playoff team, a sneaky one. They could be a dark horse team for a weak division minus the 49ers. They have the offense. The line could be better. They've retooled their defense. Geno is solid enough to get them to the playoffs. He's not solid enough to get them past a certain level, but he's solid enough to get to the playoffs. And they have a sunny... Sunny, Jesus. And they have a solid running game with a solid back. But is it enough in the NFC? That's going to be the question. Because the way the NFC might pan out, who knows? Who knows? But now we're going to talk about the San Francisco 49ers. Quarterback conundrum. Their health and just a brief little outlook. And something to kind of look forward to. So their quarterback issues is like, I know Kyle is tired of the carousel of quarterbacks. The quarterback conundrum that he just finds himself consistently struggling with. And they have three guys who could play, according to Shanahan. Usually, this type of thing gets most head coaches fired. But because Kyle Shanahan is an offensive genius that can apparently make things happen in the back of his mind at the blink of an eye, he gets away with it. Because they're still winning. But apparently, we shall find out as camp commences. But here's the thing. Do we really want to go into training camp with a quarterback competition? At this point in the offseason, we know who number one is going to be. That person needs to be getting the number one reps. It's almost go time. We don't need to be playing around, diddly-daddling with people's time and the rest of the team. So... We need to figure it out. Is it going to be Brock Purdy? Is it going to be Trey Lance? Who else is the other quarterback? I forgot. But it was Jimmy G, but Jimmy G's a Raider now. Did they pick another one? I don't know. I don't know. But they have three quarterbacks. One of the three got to be the starters. I feel like whoever's going to be the starter, I think, personally, I think Brock Purdy's the one that job pretty handily.
But my thing about Kyle Shanahan is I have a very good question. It's probably going to be at the end of this segment. But next thing I'm going to talk about the 49ers is about their health. I need this team to stay healthy, especially that defense, which is almost never healthy. Health is an issue, and it's starting to become a serious concern. But the defense that is physical, no surprise that they're often injured. But it's 2023. Let's update our sports medicine departments and training departments, too. I don't want to see any, I don't want to hear any more about injured 49ers. The same culprits, Nick Bosa, etc. And the outlook and expectations is like, regardless of the quarterback conundrum, this is the best team in the division on paper and on the field because we've seen it. Hopefully, they can get over the playoff hump because I feel like we're starting to get to the point in time where they don't make, they don't do anything. If they start pulling a cowboy, which is get to the second round of the playoffs and lose, the third rounds of the playoffs and lose over and over again, more serious questions are going to start being asked about bigger things like coaching. And the way, and if you're going to understand how I'm getting at here, the San Francisco 49ers have had a Super Bowl-ready roster for how many years, ladies and gentlemen? And with Jimmy G at the at the home helm. They went to one. It ain't been back since. So, at what point do we get tired of being in our Super Bowl window? And then our coach, the offensive genius, here's Kyle Shanahan's problem, bro. It's when, and a lot of people, if you understand, and he gets in his own way. If you are a Falcons fan, you understand what I'm talking about. Shanahan gets in his own way. He has these all these different types of offensive ideas, these genius ideas, and things that he wants to do. And he's very capable of making these things work. He's very capable of making these things um, work. But as you saw in the Super Bowl with the Falcons, when it required that all they needed to do was run the ball, run the clock out, kick a field goal, and let's go home. And let traffic be on 20 be be, um, bad for weeks on end. It would have been a parade up in here. I live here. I already know what was going to happen if the Falcons won the Super Bowl. But because Kyle Shanahan got in his own way and he wanted to throw the ball a whole bunch of times with Matt Ryan, he ruined that Super Bowl. I don't think that whole Super Bowl was really Dan Quinn's fault. That was Shanahan. And if you really pay attention to the things that's been going on in 49ers, with Shanahan get, sometimes getting in his own way and it don't work out for them, and for some whatever reason they're always going home, not going to the Super Bowl, there's going to be bigger questions asked. And that's just that. There's going to be bigger, bigger questions asked. Now, that's my, like, for as a division, 
my outlook is I have the 49ers one, the the Seahawks two, and three and four are just horrible. And you can really put the Rams three and Arizona four or Arizona three to Rams four. It wouldn't make any much sense because they're pretty much 31 and 32 in the power rankings. They're just that horrible. But I feel like this is going to be, this is one of the weaker divisions. And the next division, next week, on the next episode, that I'm going to break down. It's probably going to be the, I did the NFC East. Did I do the NFC South? I did the NFC South. I did the NFC East. This is NFC West. I got to do the NFC North. And I'm going to talk about Jordan Love a little bit because that's been this kind of running around with their heads on fire, discussing whether or not Jordan Love is really ready for the job and what he's going to do. Let's temper our expectations as far as Jordan Love is concerned. Like, let's, 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 let's temper that. Because he will be fine either immediately or in due time. We need to chill out. We don't know what we're going to get from him. He's either going to be fine or he's going to be trash. We don't know we're gonna get, what we're going to get. The players, his players, that's his locker room now. So his players, I feel comfortable in saying that, his players love him. They feel like they can win with him. So, that being said, we need to cool down with the expectations and all the hoopla about Jordan Love. Let's play football. Next, I'm going to talk about what the heck Dak said about when it talks about curbing his turnovers. He said, I know what I am, who I am. We know who you are, too, a turnover machine. Like, Dak, you really, there's nothing that can sit here and tell me face-to-face or anywhere. Or anywhere that's going to sit here and say, that's going to sit here and make me say, Oh, he's going to be able to turn his picks, stop turning the ball over. There's nothing he could do because he's always turning the ball over. He's led the league, like, I don't know how, there's been a few times I've said this. He's led the league in fumbles twice and he's led the league in picks. That man is turnover prone. If that ain't the injury, if that's not the definition of turnover prone, then I don't know what is. Next. Now, I want everybody to be, to just gather around a campfire and just listen. Because we finna go there. So all week, the Titans have announced that they're going to wear their Oilers throwbacks. Now, if you have some common sense, we all know that the Houston Oilers turned into the Tennessee Titans because they didn't want to, they, the, whoever was the mayor of Houston. This is a generalization. I'm not breaking down the whole situation. They wanted a new stadium. They didn't give it to Bud Adams. He took the team and moved to Tennessee. Turned it to the Tennessee Oilers, and then we turned it to the Tennessee Titans. So this whole week, these whiny, crybaby-ass Houston Texan fans have been getting on my goddamn nerves. They've been like, it's so distasteful. They cry so much. And then they get snarky at you when you start pointing out facts. Like, come on now. Like, you've been crying about a piece of fabric all week. I mean, if you really wanted to keep the team in Houston, 
you could have gave the man a stadium. And the Texans are its own complete separate entity, its own identity. And y'all ain't got no throwbacks because y'all were um, an expansion team in 2002. Was it 2002? Did I get the year right? I think I did. But yeah, so y'all don't have any throwbacks. We do, and y'all over here mad as heck because some of y'all think that the Houston Oilers history belongs in the city of Houston. No, it don't. It belongs to the Tennessee Titans. I don't know where y'all get this weird sense of stupid entitlement from, but y'all need to grow up. And these there, then there's athletes like J.J. Watt who just says these foolish things on Twitter that enables this fan base to think that the fan base to think the way that they think. It's our history. We want it and crying about our history. You don't own it. You don't you 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 don't own it. You became Texans fans because the Oilers left instead of becoming a Titans fan. That's a personal problem. That's a you problem. And that sounds like you should have followed that team there. Idiot. Not my fault that you y'all got a mediocre trash team as an expansion team as an afterthought. That is not my fault. That is not the Titans' fault because y'all could have avoided that whole situation. The people in power, and I don't know the whole situation. I'm not gonna act like I know the situation, but I know the the the, the frameworks of it. Y'all have lost y'all's minds for about a week and a half, two weeks. Oh my goddamn mentions crying. Go get a life instead of crying and making your Twitter thumb your thumbs your thumbs numb by typing on Twitter. Y'all are a bunch of crybabies. Get over yourselves. Cry a river, build a bridge, get over it. Cause ain't nobody don't nobody feel sorry for y'all. Y'all are saying that the Oilers is y'all's history. Yeah. It it was. Until they moved. So now, like, you think just because you live in Houston that it, the, the Oilers' history should stay in Houston. Yeah, you know how dumb you sound? Especially when the Oilers became a whole new, the Oilers franchise is a new franchise, is the same franchise under a different name. It's not a new franchise. You know how dumb you sound? Because they went to a different city? You know how stupid you sound? Like, the hell out of here out of here with that. All that crying and two hundred and forty characters and carrying on. Y'all been doing it all week. Grow up. Grow up. Well, we've reached the conclusion of this week's episode of Jory Sports Stories. As always, I'm your host, Jory. And if you like what you heard, feel free to share the podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, hit that bell notification. Make sure you get all the notifications for newest uploads. Um, Join us Wednesday as we do a bonus episode or part two to this episode where we cover the WNBA and some of the NBA headlines. Yeah, we had to split this into two episodes because I had a lot to say as far as football. And I really couldn't afford to sit there and talk for another hour. So without being said or without being further ado, Without any, without much less, much more being said, I don't, look, look, I'm a human, 
I'm going to stutter over my words sometimes. So without much more being said, thank you guys for listening today. Um, tune in next week for W for NBA analysis, NBA offseason buzz and WNBA analysis and coverage and a catch up. So next week's episode is primary, probably primarily going to be WNBA centric. And I might cover some more. Well, Wednesday's episode, not next week. My bonus episode, part two to this episode. Okay, I'm rambling. I'm rambling. Let me get up out of here. Again, thank you guys for listening today. Share the podcast. Like the podcast. Let's grow the podcast. And I will see you guys next week.